Please turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Ecclesiastes 10, we're going to look at the entire chapter. You'll need a Bible to do that with us. So these brothers have some Bibles. Get their attention if you need a Bible. It's marked for you at Ecclesiastes chapter 10. And you can keep that Bible as our gift to you. We want everybody to own a copy of God's Word. Bring that back with you next time. And you can follow along each week as we look at Scripture together. In 1957, Senator John F. Kennedy's book, titled Profiles in Courage, won a Pulitzer Prize. It's a short biography of eight senators who stood against public opinion to do what was right at various times in the history of our country. Now, it's been said that there's a reason that there's only one volume of Profiles in Courage and only eight senators in it. And that's because not many people, let alone politicians, fit the description of a profile in courage. And the same is true for wisdom. Not many people fit the profile of wisdom because the Bible teaches that we are born foolish. That is, born not using what God has given for his intended purpose. Today, as we continue in our series in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to see the profile of foolishness that's given in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, and we're going to use that as a call for us as God's people to be the very opposite of that. And so let's bow together and ask God to help us as we look at his word. Our Father, we thank you that we can have this time now to look into the Bible your communication to your world that has resonance with your people because we have your Holy Spirit who illumines our minds so that when we see its meaning, we say yes. We receive it. We accept it. We welcome it. And so we thank you that we have your word. We're thankful that we have your spirit and we're thankful that we have this time. We ask you then, Lord, To help us to use this time wisely, to learn from your word and apply your word as your wise people so that we can bring glory to you this week, even better than this past week, so that we can reflect you to you and to an onlooking world. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. And we have inserted for you in your program as each week an outline. If you don't have that out as yet, please take that out and I encourage you to follow along. As we look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 10 tells us about profiles in foolishness, it tells us, first of all, I say in that outline, that foolishness comes from the heart. Foolishness comes from the heart. Verse 2 says, The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Now, when it speaks of the heart, it's not, of course, referring to the physical organ in the body that pumps blood through our veins, nor is it referring to what most people often associate heart with, and that is the emotions. We say things like, he spoke from his heart, or she touched my heart, and when we say that, we're referring to the emotions. But in the Bible, the word speaks of spiritual matters. Famously, the prophet Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? 
And this same Solomon who wrote Ecclesiastes wrote most of the Proverbs that are given in the book by that name, the book of Proverbs. And he said, guard your heart for everything that you do flows from it. So in the Bible, the heart is the control center of the person. It's the spiritual center from which everything that we think and say and do originates. The fool is governed by a heart that misuses what God has given him. He misuses the information that God has given, failing to apply what he knows. That's why the Bible says in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. You see, it's not that the individual does not know that there's a God. In fact, the Bible tells us, as we'll see in a moment, that indeed they do. It's not ignorance. Ignorance is simply not knowing. Foolishness is failing to apply what you know. But the fool who says in his heart there is no God knows, in fact, that there is. Psalm 19 tells us the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Their voice goes out into all the earth. So the voice, the message of creation goes out to everyone and everyone has access to it. But the fool denies what he has in his possession. He fails to apply it. It's not that he doesn't know. He fails to make application of what he knows. And so as wisdom is the skilled application of knowledge, foolishness is failing to apply what one knows. So then the actions of the foolish person person are distortions of what should be. They know, they have information, but they twist it. They distort it. Foolishness is a distortion of the way things were made to be, of the way things are supposed to be. The heart of the foolish steer them in the wrong direction. And that's why verse 2 says, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. The right hand in Scripture, very often, is presented as a place of protection. For example, in Psalm number 16. With the Lord at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And so it's telling us that the fool tends to wander and he puts himself in harm's way. So he wanders from wisdom, the path of wisdom... Removing himself from the protection that that provides. And he puts himself of his own volition in harm's way. And it shows. It shows in his life. And that's why verse 3 says this. Even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense. And they show everyone how stupid they are. That is, as the fool goes through life, he inclines in the wrong direction. But he himself does not see it. He lacks sense, including a sense of awareness, a sense of self-awareness about the direction that he's going. So he doesn't see it. He lacks sense. He lacks awareness of his own foolishness. But it's evident for everyone else to see. Years ago, I read about uh, people in church who require extra grace. Uh, the author called them EGRs, extra grace required. And he said in the book, he said, now as you're reading this, you may be thinking to yourself, you know, I don't know anybody like that. And he says, then you're probably the one. 
And likewise, the, the foolish person doesn't see it. They don't have a sense of themselves being that foolish person, but everyone else sees it. We sometimes say, so-and-so does not, quote, suffer fools gladly. And what we mean by that is they do not easily tolerate foolishness from others. But the truth is, friends, we live in a fallen world in which we ourselves manifest foolishness at times, and perhaps often. And certainly we're surrounded in a fallen world by others who do. We need to know how to avoid this foolishness ourselves and also how to deal with it when it's encountered in others. And that's why I say in your outline, not only does foolishness originate, come from the heart, but I say in your outline, it comes in many varieties. It originates in the heart and it manifests itself. It comes in many varieties. There are so many foolish people around, so many people who do not fear God but live for themselves instead, that sooner or later we will be frustrated by their folly. Some of us live with fools and their foolish behavior disrupts the life of our home. Some of us work with fools and their laziness or their selfish demands or their erratic decision making make the workplace miserable. And then there are all the fools in government. Most Americans, at least, can relate to one of Mark Twain's frequently quoted witticisms. He said, suppose you were an idiot. And suppose you were a member of Congress. But I repeat myself, he says. (laughs) Now, his remark may seem overly sarcastic, but it is, in fact, in keeping with what Ecclesiastes says about, very often, the kind of political leadership we have. We're going to look at verse 4 of chapter 10 in just a moment, but look at verse 5 right now. There is an evil I have seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. So one of the many varieties of foolishness that we'll encounter is that of the foolishness of the politician. I have in your outline, politicians are often foolish. Unfortunately, there are, in fact, many foolish people in government. And as foolish as they are, they nevertheless manage to work their way into positions of political leadership. Some are completely incompetent. Others use their position for personal advantage. They're more interested in status than in service. By the time their folly is exposed, very often it's too late and the damage has been done. And afterward, people wonder how they ever managed to get put in charge. And when the wrong people are, get, are put into power, everything gets turned upside down. Solomon says in verse 5 that errors in leadership produce evil in society. And he describes some of the bad things that happen. For example, the rich occupy the low places, he says in verse 6. Now, in a different context, that reversal might indicate to us a triumph of, of justice. You know, the filthy rich finally getting put in their place, we might think. But here it means that people with financial resources do not have the power to use them for the public good. 
So you have someone who's implemented foolish policies so that things that could and should be used for the overall good and benefit of society are unable to do that. In biblical times, horses were strongly associated with power, and with wealth, and even royal authority. And slaves generally did not ride on horseback, but they walked in front or of or behind their masters. But when folly, when foolishness sits on the throne, everything's turned upside down. Slaves ride, princes walk. Whenever we see things that are turned upside down, whenever a society celebrates immorality, or perpetuates wrongful violence, punishes righteousness, denies the authority of God, or persecutes his people. Whenever we see that, we may be sure that folly, that foolishness, is in control. And verse 4 tells us how to respond to that. How do we respond to the foolish ruler? We can't control whether he changes, but we can control our responses. Verse 4. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. So here is a person whose anger, his tantrums really, are aimed at you. Just think what this guy's Twitter feed would look like. But as unworthy as the leader is, you're called to submit. Do not leave your post, it says. That is, do not join a rebellion against him. And claim that you need not obey because this is a foolish ruler and this is a foolish government. And I don't agree. And even though you are experiencing the negative consequences of this ruler's foolishness. Since in fact life is not about you. It's not about us. Then don't react with self-preservation. But act for healing. That's what verse 4 says. Notice the last part of verse 4. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. That word calmness literally means healing. So how do you heal a situation where there's anger and raging? Proverbs, Solomon, tells us about that. Proverbs 15, he says, a gentle answer turns away wrath. So that is the first thing that we're to do. In the midst of someone who is expressing their foolishness through their rage, through their anger, through their tantrums, is we're to turn a gentle answer back to that, not to answer in kind. Now, does that always work? Of course it does not. In a fallen world, in a sinful world. We can't control whether or not that person changes. As I've said, we can only control our responses. But if that does not work, then you may have to disassociate yourself from that person if, in fact, disassociation is an option. There are some situations where it's not an option. If you're married to an angry person, unless they're doing physical violence to you, then... You don't have the option. You're going to need to rely on God to see you through that. But Proverbs warns us about making friends and maintaining friendships with those who are like this. It says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. But as I said, there are these situations where you don't have the option of disassociation. Marriage might be one Perhaps even work 
You're stuck in your job. You can't find something else. You've got to make a living. Government, of course, unless you can manage impeachment, at least in our system. So you entrust yourself, you entrust the situation, and you entrust the one who is in charge to God. You act as a Christian and you leave to God what you cannot control. It's a very hard lesson for us to learn, isn't it? Not to take matters into our own hands. And not to fix things that are not to our liking. But please hear this. Wife, you cannot force your husband to be what he should be. Or what you want him to be. Employee, you cannot make your boss be better than he is. You cannot force that. Citizen, you can't change what the politicians in Washington or in Lansing are doing. But though we can't change what they do, in our system at least we can change who is doing it at the ballot box. And every one of us here has to submit to authority of some sort. And so in that sense, all of life is in a sort political. Because we are all under authority and we have rulers to whom we must submit. So everyone here, if you just use your imagination just a bit, you can think of some situation you've been in or you are in where you're under someone and they don't act to your liking. Everybody's like that. But God calls us to submit to that. And the sooner we learn that lesson, the better. And the person who doesn't learn that lesson is a fool. Foolishness comes in many varieties. Politicians are often foolish. Secondly, employees are often foolish. Now, you see, the direction of foolishness from our perspective, you know, just depends on whose ox is being gored. If you're the employee, it's always the employers who are the fools. If you're the employer, (laughs) good work is hard to find. Good help is hard to find. Here it's talking about the employees, which fits most of us. Most of us are employees, not the employer. We have some employers here as well. But most of us are employees, and we like to rage against the one who is in charge. But in fact, we, the employees, can express foolishness as well. Verse 8, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. What's that talking about? Well, it's not saying that to work hard is foolish or that we should avoid hard work because it might be dangerous. It's saying that fools don't heed the dangers involved and they fail to take appropriate precautions for safety. And so they endanger themselves and they endanger others. This applies in workplaces, especially those that involve machinery and moving parts that can cause injury. But in a wider sense, it can be applied to all of life in which one is thoughtless in what they do. Giving little care or thought to actions that have harmful potential. And a foolish employee can be a danger to himself and others. And verse 10 says, if the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but the skill, but skill will bring success. That is, the skill of sharpening the axe will allow you to successfully use the axe. And the fool knows this, but he doesn't bother to do it because it's too much work 
takes too much time and effort to be prepared for his work. So he spends twice as the amount of time to do half the work, expending three times the energy that's actually needed. That's a fool at work. Now, we can apply this to all that we do. Are you wisely looking for better and more efficient ways to do your work, whatever that work is? And I ask you, what about the Lord's work? One, are you engaged in the Lord's work? Are you using the gifts and abilities that he's provided to you for the ends for which he provided those, namely to advance his mission? And if you do have such ministry, and if you do not, then let me just say kindly but very directly, you're stealing from God. Not stealing money, you're stealing gifts that he has given to you for his purposes. And so if you're not involved in that, let the folks at the Information Center know, I'd like a place of ministry. Give them your name, and we'll get with you this week. But if you have a place of ministry, I ask you... In your ministry, are you each week seeking to improve? Making note of the things that could have been done better this Sunday or this Wednesday or whenever the event occurred and discussing with your fellow servants how to correct it. Or do we simply come in week after week and give little or no thought to what we're doing and how well we're doing it? I believe, and we established here a culture many years ago when we started the church. It's hard to maintain. So we constantly have to remind, I have to remind myself and remind others. But I believe that each ministry should do weekly evaluation. And you sweat the small stuff. Noting what was missed and what could be done better. And a culture of evaluation and improvement will yield amazing results in a short period of time at whatever you're doing. Verse 11 says, if a snake bites before it is charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Now, you've probably seen snake charmers on TV where the charmer sort of hypnotizes the snake, often by playing music, so that the snake is under the charmer's control. That was a common form of entertainment in the ancient world. But if the charmer does not take the time to get the snake under control... If he's impatient and he begins to play with the snake too early, then he's bitten, one. And two, he's not going to get paid from his boss or get tips from the audience. So he may be harmed by the snake and he'll be harmed because he doesn't receive his pay. Now, this is someone who is impatient and so does not see his task all the way through. So what are you like? Do you get bored really easily? I mean, I'm doing my very best right now to bore you. (laughs) But for many of you, it doesn't take much. You get bored really easily. You know, things have got to be moving. You've got to be popping and dazzling. You want somebody kind of dancing, moving around. You came to the wrong place, obviously. You need to see and make changes often. And often there, friends, are other things that are affected by those changes, but your impatience causes you to be critical of the status quo, hungry for the new and novel, and so ready to overthrow the way it's been done all too quickly. 
Patience is indeed a virtue in our work, in our ministries, and in fact, in all of life. The point of these Proverbs about employees, whatever their task, is this. If you're to be wise rather than foolish, then you need to learn to think ahead and prepare yourself for what life brings. We need to learn to follow through with the tasks to which we place our hands. And so politicians are often foolish. Employees are often foolish. In your outline, I say as well, speech is often foolish. The way we talk is often foolish. Verse 12. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. Now, in the New Testament book of James, we're warned of the destructive power of the tongue. Twelve verses in chapter 3 of James are devoted to warning us about our words and the way we use our tongue. Verse 5 of James 3 says this, The tongue is a small part of the body, but consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. So our words can harm others. But this verse in verse 12 is saying our words can harm us. Foolish use of the God-given ability to communicate can alienate us from others can cause us to be isolated from others and possibly destroy the work that we've done as people one by one abandon us due to our ungodly speech. Do you find that happening to you? That you're becoming isolated because people are moving away from you? Perhaps it's because of what you've communicated to them. And when it says that they're consumed in verse 12, It means they're swallowed up, gulped down, devoured. One has said it this way. It's bad to have to eat your own words. It's far worse when you're eaten by your own words. So Proverbs warns us, Solomon does, that those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Verse 13 says, at the beginning, their words are folly, foolishness. At the end, they are wicked madness and fools multiply words. So the person who is foolish, as we saw earlier, is not generally aware of it. Everybody else is, but they're not. But that doesn't keep them from talking then, right? They're not aware of it. And so they keep talking and they talk all the more. And the foolishness then compounds. Titus chapter 1 says this of people like that. There are many unruly and vain talkers. And one translation of that, the Phillips translation of that says it this way, there are many who will not recognize authority and who talk nonsense. The rebellious, they don't recognize authority. They should be in charge. They know the way the world should work and they are going to tell you about it and tell you about it and tell you about it. And the nonsense increases as the effects of the fool's speech are felt and the fool keeps on talking, causing more havoc. Do you talk a lot? Are you thoughtful in what you say? Remember this, friends. Words are sacred. They're sacred because we are able to communicate 
as creatures made in the image of God, as no other creatures can. We're emulating God when we use words. Therefore, our words are sacred and so should only be used in the service of truth and encouragement. And even when they're used to reprimand or correct, it's to be done in the service of the Lord in his way and for his sake. Most of us would be well served to speak fewer words. And to have those words preceded by thought. Engaging the mind before engaging the tongue is always good advice. But the fool prattles on anyway. Verse 14. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? The toil of fools wearies them. The fool wears himself out. And he wears others out. And the point here is that though we do not know what is happening and what will happen, the implication here is that the fool acts as though he does. He always knows what's coming and he always knows what to do. He's what we would call a know-it-all. A Jewish writer said, You can tell when a fool speaks. He grinds much but produces little. Proverbs said it this way, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. The fool has all the answers, he thinks. He's a legend in his own mind. But the last part of verse 15 says this of him, he does not know the way to town. So there's the way he thinks of himself, but there's the way he really is, and he does not know his way to town. We sometimes make the disparaging remark about someone saying he can't find his way home. In ancient Israel, it was not that hard to find your way home because the road system was not that complex. All roads led to town, but the fool can't even manage that. But you wouldn't know it by his words. His lack of accomplishment, his lack of actually getting anything done is evident to everybody except him. He talks on in spite of his shortcomings. So politicians are often foolish. Employees are often foolish. Speech is often foolish. And in your outline, leaders are often foolish. Verse 16 says, Woe to the land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Now, there's a marginal note in the NIV, which is what most of you have. Those are the, that's the version of Bible that we, we pass out, the New International Version. But there's a marginal note there that says the word servant here could be translated as child. The New American Standard Bible says, woe to the land whose king is a lad. And I think the emphasis here is on the maturity level. Woe to the land whose king is a child. The foolish leader is immature but doesn't know it. He's actually quite fond of himself and he thinks he is mature. (laughs) You know, as I read through this stuff, is it just me? Or do the scriptures seem to address current issues like they were written this past week? I mean, just in the last two weeks, a hashtag called alert the daycare staff 
has gone viral in reference to our current government. Isaiah tells us in chapter 3 that when a nation has immature leaders, it's an expression of God's judgment. And by the way, the same principle can be applied to church as well. There's a reason that the word of God, both for the nation of Israel and in the church today, referred to leaders as elders. It has less to do with age than maturity. Oswald Chambers, who wrote a famous book called Spiritual Leadership, said spiritual maturity is not reached by passing of years, but by obedience to the will of God. And in contrast to that, verse 17 says, blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. You see, for the foolish leader, it's all about himself and how he can indulge himself. He eats whenever he wants because it's all a party to him and for him. And he starts the party as soon as he rolls out of the rack in the afternoon. And he doesn't eat so that he can be strengthened for his God-given tasks. Rather, he eats for the party. He says, I want to do what I want and I want to do it when I want to do it. Verse 18, through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hands, the house leaks. That is because of the distraction of his self-indulgence, he lets the important things go. He's so busy with enjoyment that he's too busy for his employment. Verse 19, a feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry and money is the answer for everything. You see, his foolishness is seen in his frivolity. He wastes money. He's not a steward. Life is a party. So laugh and make merry and don't worry about the bill. We're the leaders. We're entitled. So you can see for the foolish leader, it's all about him. And that's the real heart of the problem for a fool of whatever type. He has... Someone else on the throne other than God. He's consumed with self. And so how then do you respond to foolishness as seen in a leader? Well, he's got to be served cautiously. Serve him with caution. Verse 20. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom. Because a bird in the sky may carry carry your words, and a bird on the wing may report what you say. Have you heard the expression, a little birdie told me? This is where it comes from. Somehow disloyalty is recognized, and when you're dealing with selfish rulers who only think about their own pleasure, then woe to those who are under them. You must serve with caution. So friends, here's the picture of the fool. Profiles in foolishness, I called it in the title of the message. And how do we deal with the fool? Solomon said in Proverbs, do not answer a fool according to his folly or you will be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly or he will be wise in his own eyes. Two verses that say exactly the opposite thing. So what's it saying? Well, there's ample evidence in the Bible that would indicate to us that we're to rebuke a fool But then if he will not respond, we're to disassociate from him. We're to separate from him. That's what we're being told here. Now, what do you do if by the grace of God, it suddenly begins to dawn on you that you may have some of the characteristics that have been described here? Well, as we close, let me give you some advice about that. First of all, thank God for his grace that he's shown you this need to grow. 
Don't be offended. Don't be mad. Be thankful. God cares about me enough to show me my foolishness. And maturity is the key issue. The fool is immature. So you need to begin to grow spiritually. One preacher summarized it this way. When we begin to get a grasp on maturity, setting aside the selfish inclinations to which we are all naturally inclined to march, then we will be able to learn to control anger. Then we will be able to learn to elevate truth and faithfulness above all other relationships. Then we'll be able to think ahead biblically, lay solid plans and prepare our lives for the work that God has called us to do. Then we'll begin to be patient and follow through with the work that God has given. Then we'll begin to button our lips, get off the phone and cease from gossip. In addition to Solomon's graphic portrait of the fool here in Ecclesiastes 10, listen to these words that he gave in Proverbs 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, and if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. The opposite of foolishness is the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. And notice the relationship between Solomon and his son. There was a mentoring relationship there. One of the practical ways we can begin to overcome our own immaturity is through a mentoring relationship with other believers. Solomon was impacting the life of his son, and now his words are preserved in Scripture to lead us in the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. And notice how Solomon said we're to pursue those. He says, search for it as for hidden treasure. Search for it like you search for money. How hard do we work today to put money in our bank accounts? How hard do we work to be able to pay the bills and have enough left over to pursue our games and our toys? How do we work for something that is, though, of real value, lasting and eternal value? How hard do we work for the knowledge of God? Who are you seeking To help you along the path to maturity. The wise have answers to these kinds of questions, friends. We have a ministry called Growth Partners. It's designed to match you with someone so that you can have a relationship where iron can sharpen iron. And very often we place someone who is further along in their walk with the Lord so that they can mentor you that way. And here's why, friends. The church is not just a social club. We're not just to gather for a social hour. We're doing the most serious business under the sun. We're in the business of delving into the riches of God's word so that his people might know God. My friends, life is short. So what we do, we better do now. And so I ask you, are you throwing yourself wholeheartedly into the pursuit of the knowledge of God? We all come into this world foolish. The Bible says foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child Every one of us. And so we were born that way. We need to be born again. Because of what I say in the take home truth. We're foolish by birth. We become wise by new birth. We're going to pray. As we do. Thank God if he has shown you immaturity, foolishness in your own life. Thank him. Ask him. To help you now move in the direction 
of maturity. Take action. Ask your, ask for a growth partner. Identify someone within God's people that has walked with the Lord longer than you have who can be a mentor to you. But all of this starts by you having a relationship with Christ. None of this happens if you don't have a relationship with Christ. So when we pray, if you're a Christian, thank God that he's shown this to you. Commit to him that you're going to take these actions. Ask him to help you as you do. But if you don't know Christ, as we bow in prayer, you can receive him as your Savior and Lord in this sacred moment. And so you can realize that you are a sinner, that you have aspects of what we have talked about here that are characteristic of you as they are of me. You recognize that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. You repent of your sin. You say to God, I'm going to go your way and no longer my selfish, foolish way. And you receive Jesus Christ into your life. When we bow, you pray in your own words from your heart to God. And you acknowledge, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died to pay for my sin. I give my life to you and I am going to follow you. The rest of my life, I ask you to save me. He who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word and to see there this portrait of us. There are aspects of this life of immature foolishness that apply to me, that apply to each of us. And particularly so before we came to you, our entire lives were going in the wrong direction. They were inclined in the wrong direction. We were born with foolish tendencies, sinful tendencies. But Lord, you have begun your reclamation project in us when we were born again. We thank you that that work includes chiding us, convicting us like has happened today. But that's your good work in your children, moving us back into the path in the middle of the road to follow your way, not ours. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move on the hearts of some and draw them to yourself as only you can do. That they would see that they're pursuing this foolish path and they are outside the knowledge of God and they're not pursuing the knowledge of God because they don't know him. And so may they come to know you in this sacred moment. May they trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and bow before him as their Lord. And may we who have done that represent you for Christ's sake. May we represent you as your wise people, wise as serpents and gentle as doves as we go about the work that you have assigned to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.